This is an RNZ podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Money with me, Mary Holm. Thanks for taking just a few minutes to listen in while Jesse Mulligan and I talk through some useful ideas about how to make your money work better for you. Just remember though, this is guidance. Final decisions are up to you. Over to Jesse. Mary Holm is in. Hello there. Hi, Jesse. You gave me some car trouble, Mary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hope you've got an emergency fund I've, if your car I, needs, you I'm know. I'm a member of AA, Jesse, so all's well. Okay. I'll be right. Yeah. Well, we're glad you got here <laughs> on time. And uh, as you. I said, you are crunching the numbers for us this week. Yeah, well, towards the end of our last session, right at the end, you said someone sent in a message asking about dollar cost averaging, and I said, oh, we can't do that in one minute. It takes more, a bit more time. But it's worth thinking about, and, and and that got me thinking, well, what else could we talk about? And so I've got three little, I'm sort of calling them number games, mm. and before everyone turns off their radio because they don't like maths, they're all easy numbers, I promise. And, mm. and I mean, um, I'd turn off my radio if I heard dollar cost averaging. That yeah, sounds very technical and dense, know, doesn't it? It's awful. Yeah. And, and, you know, we should be many... able to come up between us. We should be able to come up with a better term We should. We'll yeah. work on that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And maybe we could, maybe after listeners have heard all about it, some of them could think of it. And, because I've never understood what that name really means, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, it's, it is confusing, and I hate the way lots and lots of New Zealanders say they're no good at maths and they don't like numbers and they turn them off. In fact, in my book, I put a little thing where it says maths alert. You know, this next little bit is going to be mathematical. If you don't, can't bear numbers, switch, move to the end where I've <laughs> written the main point of this is, yeah. be, because I didn't want people to just stop reading the book. But I, I wish people would try a little bit more with numbers. They're actually quite good fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know that's when you say that, you sound like a bit of a worry. But um, but anyway, moving on to... They probably just, you know, awaken some traumatic memories from people of being in maths class and not getting it. There's nothing worse yes. than when someone's trying to teach you something and your brain just it's, won't compute. I think that maths might have been taught very badly. I hope that's no longer the case. Hmm. You know, that this it's kind of like solving puzzles, a lot of it. And if it was presented more like that, like a bit... A little bit of fun. Anyway, enough of that. Um, dollar cost averaging. This is something that happens in KiwiSaver to just about everybody in KiwiSaver unless you're in the very, very lowest risk fund. So it happens in, in also outside KiwiSaver in any investment where the balance can go up and down as the markets go up and down. And, you know, even in the second level KiwiSaver funds, the conservative ones, as opposed to the bottom defensive ones, there are some bonds and bond values can go up and down. And then mm. as you go up the risk ladder, um, the value of the investments goes up and down more and more. So this applies to any investment that goes up and down where you're investing a regular amount, the same amount or roughly the same amount every month or every week or whatever. And so for employees in KiwiSaver, that's what's happening. They're getting 3% or, or, or more of their pay going in regularly. For the self-employed, um, you might remember last time we had a letter from a listener saying she was self-employed and they were always neglected on KiwiSaver stuff. So let me say for self-employed people, I highly recommend that they set up putting $87 a month into KiwiSaver rather than putting a lump sum in once a year 
to get the maximum tax credit. 87 a, a month or $20 a week will get you the amount you need to get the maximum tax credit. And if you do that, then dollar cost averaging will also help you along. So to explain what it is, um, I was out walking the other day and I thought, how can I explain this? And I thought about asparagus, bunches of asparagus. Great, great. Um, I love an asparagus-based metaphor. (laughs) Okay, Jesse, tell us another one. There's a challenge here. Um, (laughs) Let's say that, um, this is a bit silly, but that you like to spend, you're willing to spend $10 on asparagus. Mm. And in the height of the asparagus season, just before Christmas, it costs $2 a bunch. So you're going to, for your ten dollars, you're going to get five bunches, and then in in the depths of winter when there's no local asparagus round, um, it might cost ten dollars a bunch because you're buying some some imported asparagus from America or something. Yeah. Um, so okay, so in the summer it's two dollars a bunch, and in the winter it's ten dollars. So your average price is halfway between. Two and ten, which is six dollars. Mm-hmm. That's your average price, and you've bought five bunches with your ten bucks in the summer, and you've bought one bunch with your ten bucks in the winter. So you've got a total of six bunches of asparagus, and the average price is six dollars. Mm. So you would think the total you spent is six times six dollars, which is thirty-six dollars, but you've actually only spent twenty. You spent ten in the summer for your five bunches, and you've spent ten in the winter for your one bunch. So you've only spent twenty dollars, and you sort of it feels like you've got thirty-six dollars worth mm-hmm. of asparagus. Yeah, and you know the other. You know, if you stop to think about it, it's quite simple. You've bought more when it was cheap. Uh, you bought more. You got five bunches when it was only $2 a bunch, and you've got only one bunch when it was $10 a bunch. Mm. And that's exactly the same thing that will happen if you're feeding into a KiwiSaver account. When the units in the KiwiSaver account, we talked about units last time, they're just like the little shares in the in the KiwiSaver account. When they're cheap, you're going to get more. When the market's gone down, in other words, you're going to buy more units. When the market's gone up, you're going to buy fewer units. And that means you buy bargains, you get more when they're cheaper. Mm-hmm. And it automatically happens, but it's it's kind of good. It's 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 counterintuitive. The, th- the thing, the, the asparagus analogy works to some extent, but with asparagus, you're eating it right away, and so you're not you're not worried about the future value of asparagus. You're just thinking today, this is what it costs, and I'm going to have it for dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, with shares, it's quite different, of course. You're you're thinking shares are cheap at the moment, but what I really want to know is what they're going to be worth um, next year or, or maybe 30 or 40 years away mm. if it's in retirement. And so, the, and cheaper, so, the cheaper you got them for in the first place, the better, really. The better it yeah. is, yes. But if it wasn't for the fact that you're regularly putting a fixed amount in, you might, if you're just sitting out there investing, mm. it's kind of counterintuitive. When the market's gone down, people often say, I don't want to buy right now. Oh, it might keep going down to yeah. zero. And um, if it was an individual share, if you were buying a single share, this applies to th- that as well. But it, it, in the, with a single share, it could go down to zero. But in a KiwiSaver fund or another fund where there's a whole lot of investments, it's never going to go down to zero. They're not all going to go to zero. And, in fact, we know that... Over the long term, they will it will go up again. It always does. So, um, so it's something that just 
happens anyway, regardless of whether you, when you're in KiwiSaver or any other investment. I say to people, if they're if they're already in KiwiSaver and getting and putting in enough to get the incentives, they might want to do further saving outside KiwiSaver, so that they keep access to their money. And it's quite a good idea. It is a good idea to set up automatic payments into your other savings as well as into KiwiSaver. So it works for everything. But there's a bit of a but with dollar cost averaging, yeah. and that is. Um, that what happens when you have a lump sum, when you suddenly get a big amount of money from an inheritance or you've sold the batch or and you're not going to buy another one or you've won the lotto or, or you've sold your business or whatever, you get a big lump sum. Should you then just invest the whole lot at once or should you drip feed it into the... Mm. In, into the investment, let's say it's into a KiwiSaver fund or into a non-KiwiSaver fund, whatever. Um, and uh, when I was writing about it in my Herald column a few months back, um, I got an angry letter from someone because I tend to say drip feeder. Oh, you're a drip feeder from way back. Um, yeah, um, yes, yeah. <laughs> you're the same with bringing foreign currency in. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. That was yeah, something I was going to say in a minute, that get, getting onto the foreign currency, but... Um, with drip feeding money into, say, KiwiSaver. And I said that in, in the column and uh, I got quite an angry letter from someone saying that's wrong, it's not the correct way to look at it. Um, you should be putting the whole lot in straight away. If you get a lump sum, you should put the whole lot in because otherwise you're keeping some of it out, out of, let's say, a share fund mm. in a bank account and it's earning a lower return. Mm. And, um, in fact, Vanguard did some research on it a while back and looked at the numbers of what was going on in the market, and they concluded by quite a small margin that it, on, it was usually better to put the whole lot in as a lump sum. And I thought about that, and I thought, well, that's okay when you look at the numbers only, but it's not okay psychologically. You know, people... If you put the whole lot in in one go and then the markets go down soon after, you're going to feel really sick. Yeah. And they might stay down for quite a long time. Yeah. And so psychologically it's easier if you say, I'm going to put a quarter in now and then maybe a quarter in in two or three months and another quarter after that, etc. Um, don't do it over too long a period because it is absolutely true that while it's sitting on the sidelines, it's on average not earning as good a return. But... It's easier for people to to drip feed it in, I think. And, you know, in, in fact, I got, I got another letter the week after that from somebody else in my in my Herald column referring to the first letter as from the dollar cost averaging police. <laughs> and and he or she said they're all over the place and any time anyone mentions dollar cost averaging on the internet, they come swooping down oh, and say yeah. it's incorrect, it's mm. not right for lump sums. Mm. Um, no one's debating that it's right for... KiwiSaver, where you haven't got a lump sum, where you're just putting um, regular payments in, but for lump sums. Um, so I might, yes, I came, uh, my conclusion in the end is that it's all very well saying that the numbers say you should put the whole lot in straight away. But because people then start saying, oh God, what will happen if the markets go down soon? They quite like to sit on the sidelines and ponder what time is the best one to put it in. 
Whereas if you just say, I'm going to put a quarter of it in now, then people get on and do it. And so I think there's a sort of cycle. You know, we've got to look. They're actually people here. They're not just just robots. Great. Yes. yes, Well said. Yes. Yeah. So I hope that makes sense to you. You can always go back and listen again. That's dollar cost averaging. Mary Holm, our personal finance expert, is in playing with the numbers today. What is the rule of 72? The rule of 72 is another one that's – this actually doesn't apply to KiwiSaver because it – applies only to where you make a one-off investment and a typical one will be buying a house where you put all the money in on one day and and, and buy the house. Um, and it's just a handy little trick for working out. There are two things you can work out through it. One is how long it will take for your investment to double. And so, for example, if you say, oh, I want, I want, you know, I've got, inherited $10,000 and I want it to get to $20,000, how long will it take to do that? If you were in an investment that was paying you, say, 4% a year, you divide 4 into 72, and the answer to that is 18. And that tells you it's going to take 18 years to double. Ah. So how many years will it take to double? You divide the return you're expecting to get into 72. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's an, actually an approximation, but it works, it's pretty close to correct, and it just makes the maths much easier. Yeah. Um, or if you say, I want my money to double in 10 years, you say, okay, I've got to divide 10 years into 72, and that means you need to get a return of seven, 7.2%, strictly mm-hmm. speaking, around 7%. It's... More commonly, though, it's used the other way around, where people have got an investment that already has doubled, yeah. and often that's a house, although it certainly can be um, any other investment, but not a KiwiSaver one where you're drip-feeding your money and it's got to be a lump someone. Um, so if the value of your house has doubled, let's say it doubled over 12 years, then you say 12 into 72 means you've got an investment return of 6% a year. Um, if it's doubled in uh, eight years, you say 8 into 72 means you've got a return of 9% a year. It's it's For listeners who are listening to this and think, say, what the hell is she going on about? It's not something you need to know. It's mm. just an interesting thing, yeah. an interesting way to... Um, especially look at what's happening with property. So, Great. Yeah. Rule of 72. Yeah. Okay, and you've also crunched some numbers uh, to look at what happens to an investment in KiwiSaver over the long term. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and just a couple of messages on this. Um, let's say you're 40 years in KiwiSaver, so you got in at 25 and went through to 65 or roughly that sort of thing. Um, if you invest in a high-risk KiwiSaver fund, and I would highly recommend that if you're getting in at 25, unless you're planning to take the money out in the next few years to buy a house, but if, because then it's a bit too volatile. But otherwise, it's a really good idea to get into one of those high-risk funds because they grow so much faster over time. And that's the point here. When you look at those numbers, especially over 40 years, you'll you'll have almost three times as much in a high-risk fund as you will in a low-risk fund. Mm. Three times as much. It doesn't so, look much different, does it, when you say if a high-risk fund's yeah. getting 
you know, seven percent, right. and a medium risk is getting five percent yep. and three percent. It, it doesn't like two percent. It doesn't look like doesn't much look at all. like that much difference. That's exactly right. But if you look at the numbers, for example, in a low risk fund, one lot of calculations I did, you would come, you would end up with three hundred and eighty thousand, or about a third of a million, a bit more than a third of a million at retirement in a low risk fund. Whereas you'd come up with over a million in a high risk fund. Mm. It's, it's a huge, huge difference. And it's really, really good if people can get the courage to go into that high risk fund over the long term. It makes such a difference and stick with it when the markets go down. Mm. Yeah. And then the, the other one is not looking so much at high and low risk as looking at high and low fees. And the difference here is not as dramatic, but still. When I was crunching through the numbers, if you're in this high-risk fund I'm talking about over the long term, if you go with, with the lowest fee fund in KiwiSaver currently, you'll end up with about one and a half times as much as if you go in the high-risk fund currently. Boy. And one and a half times as much is still a heck of a lot more to have a lot of fun with in retirement. So, um, So that's the kind of message that I'm trying to get to here is first of all get in there it may, you know even just a couple of years difference makes makes um what was I looking at um 22 year old versus 25 year old in a KiwiSaver fund 22 year old will end up with 500,000 23 year old will end up with uh, sorry the younger one will end up with 600,000 the one who got in three years later will end up with 500,000. Oh, so it's 100,000 wow. difference just for getting in three years earlier yeah. and, and putting in only 3% of your pay. It's only a few thousand dollars, but at the other end, it's $100,000, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, and so it's really good idea to get in early and A, B, go with high risk, C, go with low fees, yeah. Yes. And that's whenever Mary talks about KiwiSaver, she says much more important than the um, brand of fund you're choosing is uh, the style of funds, um, whether it's um, high risk, low risk, medium risk, and also the fees that yeah. your fund charges. One, someone told me, um, we had an expert on the project the other night, they told me 1.25% was the average fee. So if they're charging you more than that, mm, yes. then it's too high and less than that, you're getting a pretty good deal probably. Yeah, and you want under 1%. I mean, go into the KiwiSaver Fund Finder, which I'm always talking mm. about, and, and and rank your Kiwi... The Kiwi. First of all, you've got to know what level of risk your particular KiwiSaver Fund is, and the Fund Finder will help you work that out. Mm. Um, whether you're in a low risk, you, you know, defensive, conservative, balanced, mm. growth or aggressive, and then have a look at your fund versus all the others on fees, rank them by fees. You can also rank them by return, but I recommend you don't take much notice of that because the ones that have got the highest average returns in the past quite often end up turning around and doing badly in the future. Yeah, they go all over the place. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have received an email from the Dollar Cost Averaging Police, but I won't make you answer it on the fly, Mary. <laughs> we'll um, come back to it next week. Do you want to give it a try? Or okay. You... Hi, Mary. 
Dollar cost averaging only works for non-exchange-based transactions. Any share buy costs $30 per transaction. That could be $360 a year, says David. Oh, that's an interesting point. If you are buying little wee parcels of shares, then you're probably better off doing it once every six months or once a year because of the minimum brokerage. So, yes, if you're going into an investment where there's quite high brokerage upfront costs, that could modify what you're doing here. But I generally recommend people go into KiwiSaver funds or non-KiwiSaver funds anyway because they get the diversification and and lower entry costs, etc. Great. I hope that satisfies yeah. you, David. Thanks, Mary. It's a pleasure, Jesse. It's Mary Holm. Uh, and we podcast all of Mary's contributions to the show. If you head to rnz.co.nz and uh, click on the series and podcasts page, you can subscribe, which means that if you miss one of her sessions or you want to go back and listen to one on your usual podcast player, it's easy to do.